what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers Jaron jackson juniors john ranch joe johnson's jaw rafts of course josh we're getting incredibly close to having to like put John Morant on a pedestal a little bit because he's about to be an all-star and I'm pumped for that. But he, so he might have like an extra, extra uppercase J, but we've got all kinds of J's. They're all over the place. Josh, how are you doing? Happy first podcast of 2022. Thank you. Happy 2022. Do you feel any Thanks. different? Are you new? I can't say that. No, I can't. No, neither can I. Neither can I. We're working on things to better ourselves, but it, 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 from the day-to-day aspect, you know, same, same, uh, same day, it's, you know, different day, same, same stuff, but happy new year. Are you, are you, uh, do you have new motivation for all of the things in your life? Oh, absolutely. As you know, <laughs> the ball said same year, new me, but different me. <laughs> I think that's what he said. No, it was New Year, New Year same me, me but, but different, different me. me. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Makes sense. That checks out. <laughs> it's a whole movie. But um, but yes, first podcast. Wow. Do you realize this is calendar year number six that we've had a published podcast? It's really more yeah, like five so. and a half years. Right. But if if not not even quite because it was like september of 2016 that we did our mm-hmm. first podcast so it's closer to five and a half if not even quite five and a half but this is the sixth different calendar that we've had a published podcast that's pretty cool way to go yeah good job good job by you <laughs> thanks you as well shout out to our listeners thank you thank you thank you um we're just going to talk some hoops today looking forward to it um had some good games over the weekend across a couple different conferences and at this point now that we're into the thick of conference play i mean just tonight you know a random tuesday night we've got you know oklahoma and baylor we've got kentucky and lsu there's a kansas on the road game there's some good big east action and then it's just sort of we're just rolling at this point um so we'll always have something something good to talk about but uh this weekend was no exception but before we get to that it is a Monday. No, it's a Tuesday. I lied to you. It is a Tuesday. It's the first podcast of the week. So we are obligated to provide you with our winners and losers. Mr. Doring, who is your winner from the last seven days? We might have found our other competent team in the ACC. Did we? My winner is the Miami Hurricanes. Ooh. I don't know. Are we like, are we jumping to that conclusion that they're a competent ACC team? There's, there's, there's a reason I chose the word competent. <laughs> not good <laughs> yeah they are oh and this is stretching back a little bit but they are 11 and 3 and winners of seven straight most recently 92 84 win over wake forest on saturday january 1st kicking off the new year in style before that a win over nc state on december 29th so not the greatest competition but also not the worst teams in the acc and they did this in two different ways. They had to put together a 17-2 run at the end of the NC State game. They shot 10-19 from three. Jordan Miller, Cam Augusti, Isaiah Wong had 64 combined. And then they never trailed against Wake Forest. Those three players plus Charlie Moore all had at least 15. Again, the level of competition, not spectacular, but they're winning ACC games. And the other point I want to 
make about this team in particular is in a year where so many teams, it feels like have questions and are struggling at the guard position. I just listed a bunch of them. Yes. They might not be names that jump off the page as these all American guards, but they got a lot of guys that can handle the ball can make plays and put the ball in the basket. They're not good defensively. It's a problem. They're outside the top 200 defensively in Kempom. The metrics don't like them. I understand there are questions. I'm not convinced they're actually really good. And the other part of this, too, is they got a stretch coming here. Home against Syracuse at Duke at Florida State. Home against North Carolina. Home against Florida State at Virginia Tech. Of those teams, the only two they play again after that are Virginia Tech and Syracuse. And they should win both of those games if they're anywhere near where they look like they are right now. If they can just stay afloat in the next month or so, there's a lot of wins to be had at the back half of that ACC schedule. So I just want I want they've been playing some good basketball. I did not want to have them continue to be ignored as we just slam the ACC and ask if anybody's good because the Hurricanes are playing good basketball right now. Good basketball being good, two different things. Yes. But I will concede that the Hurricane um, are setting themselves up nicely to have, you know, three injuries and lose 16 ACC games because that seems to happen every single year that we have a, you know, can, 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 but can they still stay healthy? If they stay healthy, they, uh, you know, 500 ACC team. We seem to have had that conversation three of the last four years. And then, and then they find an injury. But yeah, 25th at Kempom offensively. Um, they do a lot of things well offensively um, across the board, pretty much. Um, but then you get to the defensive side, and it's not nearly as yeah, it's, it's nearly as convincing. But when you're scoring 90 points a game, you can get away with it. And and, and if you take care, you know, whoever, regardless of who it is. If you take care of business at home in the ACC and then you get a few on the road and you all of a sudden are 11 and 7 or even, you know, 10 and 8 in the ACC, then you're at least a bubble team. You know, most years in the ACC, if you're 10 and 8, you're probably in the tournament, at least really close. Maybe not as much of a given this year, but seven straight. And seem to have, for the most part, avoided their, uh, you know, COVID that is ravaging through everywhere, every other program. I'm, uh, I'm kind of here for the idea of, of uh, Miami being a winner. Final thing I'll say, I believe this was the statistic I saw or the little factoid. Mm-hmm. The last time they started 3-0 in ACC play. Want to guess what year that was? 2013 yeah i think it was 13 14 the year was they it? won okay the year they won the acc and yeah ran duke out of the building yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i couldn't so remember if that was 13 or 14 it's yeah. the first time they've gotten off to this kind of starting acc play since then yeah um i had a hard time with a winner last week so i went with the team that i was asking to get a win um against a quality team and they beat that quality team by 15. We talked about this 
team um, on the last podcast, so we don't need to go deep into it. But the Auburn Tigers went and got a win against a top 15 Kempom team and an LSU team that I have not, I haven't seen the most recent for. Um, but the last time I checked a team that was, they are no longer beating Kentucky, but a team that the last time I saw it was beating Kentucky um, and a top 25 team. Nonetheless, um, there weren't a ton of teams that they were either, you know, the teams that beat other ranked team, this teams this week were teams like Baylor teams <laughs> yeah. that I, I mean, I mean, I guess Baylor is just kind of a winner every week until they right. lose, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. They just um, keep, keep giving themselves some more padding. Yeah. You know, it's either them or, and, and it's weird to to talk about this team winning a, you know, it, it might be, and I might be cheating just a little bit. Uh, I am cheating, not even just a little bit. I'm cheating a lot of it, but the Villanova Wildcats won a game on the road against the top 15 team in Seton Hall on January 1st. And I mean, right, we've talked about the Villanova before. Four losses, but, you know, those losses are at Creighton and then Baylor, UCLA, and Purdue. Um, those are those are three really good basketball teams. And then Creighton, it's no fun to play in Omaha. Um, we were kind of to the point where Villanova needed one of these wins, kind of. Um, and, and they got it. So that's the other one that was on my mind. But I wanted to see Auburn beat a good, another good team. Um, so they're my winner, but the, the Wildcats honorable mention there as well. Very nice. Your loser, sir. Staying in the big East. Marquette. Hey. The golden eagles. I mean, just a soul crushing double overtime home loss to Creighton to start mm-hmm. the new year. They had it won. Then Alex O'Connell happened. Four straight loss. They've dropped five of six. They're zero and three in Big East play with two losses at home. And their reward is a month that features Providence twice, Seton Hall twice, Villanova and Xavier. And I believe their first game in February is Villanova the second time. It starts. It starts with this Providence game that's going to either is underway or is getting underway very soon. Tonight, if they win some of these, then they can get this thing back sort of under control. And of course, having this kind of front-loaded schedule means there are wins in the back. But I highlighted those games to say this 0-3 start, it's not like they got the best three teams in the conference. And so you can take the perspective of those weren't games they were supposed to win, so let's not panic because their non-conference was good. So they just need to win the games they're supposed to. Now they have all of these games, right? I mean, they're not going to be anywhere close to favor to any of those. I think there's a game or two in there that a St. John's or something, if I remember correctly. But, you know, this could this could spiral to a, just a, a rough – record in conference and as many positive things as we saw in non-conference that non-conference schedule is not enough to cover for what could be a horrific relatively speaking in terms of the hopes that 
this program had coming out of non-conference. Mm-hmm. Just a really disappointing conference season. It's they got to turn things around quick, or this is going to just snowball out of control. Yeah, they're projected to win three more, four more games this season. Yeah, DePaul, both the Paul games, and then at home against Georgetown and Butler, and St. John's. So no, sorry, not oh, both the Paul games. Oh. Um, home games against DePaul, Georgetown, Butler, and St. John's. That's their projected wins from from here on out. Um, you know, it's one of those. They're in one of those positions that I can't decide if a maybe slightly better than expected non-conference is actually a good or bad thing for a team mm-hmm. like Marquette. Just from a, I don't think either of us thought even if we thought that Marquette was potentially better than we thought they were that when they were five and oh with wins against Illinois and West Virginia that they were actually going to be a top 25 team this year no no no. that put them in the bubble conversation right exactly so my point being that losing five of you know five of six to Wisconsin, UCLA, Xavier, UConn, and Creighton is probably more the speed that you were expecting them to be than, than the first five games season, but it makes it even harder to swallow when perhaps you would talk yourself into the former and and then perhaps being a little bit better than they were supposed to be. And just getting one of those wins would have done so much to, I just feel like one and two is so much different mentally than zero and three when you're staring at the the kind of gauntlet they have here. And you get so there's a Georgetown to Paul stretch right after the Providence game that tips off in a few minutes here, and then they've got the meat grinder to end the the month of January. I just if Alshon doesn't hit that shot, ultimately, does it change much? Probably not. Mm. But it, for me, it very much changes the outlook of their season in the short term heading into this really difficult month they have. Sure. I will say that Xavier Yukon Creighton is, is kind of up there in terms of the tougher stretches. Yeah, right. It, it, they weren't bad losses. Just at some point, you got to beat somebody. Yeah, sure. Um, my loser is Richmond. Mm. Would you like to guess how badly they lost to St. Joseph's this week? At home, by the way. I'll say 25. Um, that's correct. That's not oh, correct. Wow. 27. 27. They lost at home to 141st ranked St. Joseph's, 83 to 56, and then went on the road and lost to St. Louis 76 to 69. I mean the we can't be like we can't lose a 10 games if we're trying to get into the tournament at this point. That's really like, the way that they're non-conference one. Right. We're they're now 9 and 6. They've gotten shown the door by both of their a 10 opponents so far. And this was a team that we were talking about as one of the more you know returning a ton Grant Golden, Tyler Burton, Jacob Gilliard, and the what they have to show for their non-conference is their best win comes against a 101st ranked Toledo team. 
with losses to Utah State, Drake, Maryland, and Mississippi State, all the all of the teams inside the top 100 at Kempom. And so they're still searching for a top 100 Kempom win. And like the only hope was, hey, let's let's show up in conference play. And they've immediately gotten shown the door by St. Louis is one of the better teams in the A-10, but St. Joseph's certainly isn't. I mean, this is a St. Joseph's team with losses to Monmouth and Drexel and Bradley. Like they, they beat Bradley and they lost to Bradley and then beat Richmond. That's how their last two games have gone. It is just uh, not a good look for a Richmond team that was disappointing last year and disappointing uh, probably to a higher degree this year as well. Definitely. I, but don't I worry. Remember. They don't turn the ball over. They're ninth in the country in turnover percentage. Well, there's, there's something to cling to, I guess. I, I remember saying that I really thought that what was supposed to happen last year was going to happen this year. And mm-hmm. yeah, it hasn't. Nope. Not at all. Not at all. That's winners and losers. We'll do that every Monday until we get to selection Sunday. I saw somebody, I was reading something today. We are less than 10 weeks from selection Sunday. Yeah, it's going fast. Now, like, we're also, like, you know, we're probably – we're basically halfway there because we're, like, eight weeks from opening day. So we're not <laughs> – right. we're, we're still closer to the beginning of the season than just slightly. But when you put it in that context, like, oh, this 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 thing goes – this thing goes quickly. We've got a few games from over the weekend that we want to touch on. Uh, one in the Big 12, one in the Big East – and then one a game that happened yesterday evening um, in Mackey Arena. Mackey Arena game that saw the Boilermakers walk out with a loss, which was not something I was expecting to say maybe at all this season and certainly not against Wisconsin. Um, but we'll get to that. You want to go in chronological order? Is that okay with you? Yeah. Okay. Let's start in the Big 12, uh, our Saturday game of the day, by the way. Um, which turned in a a good one. Uh, Baylor 77, Iowa State 72. Uh, the undefeated and number one ranked uh, Bears stay stay undefeated 13 to0, uh, handing Iowa State their first loss of the loss of the season. Um, I'll, I'll start here and I'll let you react, Josh. It's not that I didn't believe in Iowa State, but I think it was fair. We were still at a point coming into this contest where it was fair to ask the question, what was Iowa State going to look like in Big 12 play against the best teams that the Big 12 has to offer? Now, we can't we can't question Iowa State's ability as a good team. I mean, they went through – a, a a not easy non-conference schedule they beat xavier they beat memphis which you know memphis lost to Tulane this week every time memphis steps on the floor wins against memphis get worse um creighton iowa um chicago state let's not <laughs> scoff at that one um and then they go in hilton coliseum and they absolutely belong on the floor against iowa state i didn't think that wasn't going to be the case um but i think they are at least as of January 4th, uh, worthy of this idea of talking about them as at least in the same conversation um, 
as Baylor, as Kansas, as I, you know, as the Cyclones, rather than then just not being quite in the same class as those two teams. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not willing to maybe go that far, but that was the takeaway from this game, is that they are absolutely a top five team in the Big 12. I, I think they're probably fourth. Behind Texas Tech being the third? Probably Texas. Although, they got a shot to, the way things are going, they got a shot to make it up to third. I, I think there's a gap between them and Baylor not, and not that they belong on the same tier yes but they okay. belong, belong but they belong on the floor Absolutely. and are a team that is going to make Baylor win 15 games to win this conference yes yeah and that the the, the bigger part of this for me was my my concerns about what was a great non-conference falling apart are rapidly decreasing mm-hmm I absolutely think this, I'm sold, completely sold. Absolutely think they're legit. Not enthralled with their ceiling. I don't. As 134th at Kempom and offensively, not very many teams have a ceiling that 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 is that high when you have that kind of offense. But they're going to win enough games to finish top five in the conference and to comfortably make the NCAA. I have no doubt. I I I will be stunned if they fall apart. I, I mean, I'll put it this way. Here, I'll give you, I'm going to give you some numbers from this game. Baylor shot 50% from the floor, 41% from the three-point line, and made 10 of their 14 free throws. Iowa State shot 47% from the field and 7% from the three-point line. And they only lost this game by five. Mm -hmm. Now, am I going to sit here and tell you that I doubted for a second that Baylor was going to win this game across the 40 minutes? No, not really. Um, But... When you look up and you only made one three-pointer, Hilton Coliseum or not, um, only losing to a Baylor team that is mopping the floor with everybody else, um, that's not something I'm going to – I mean, this is a Baylor team that beat Villanova by 21. Yep. I mean, I think that that matters uh, when you're talking about – how good Iowa state is. That was the, that was the, t- the takeaway for me here is that, yeah, I mean, they're going to lose plenty of games in the big 12 because pretty much everyone's going to lose plenty of games in the big 12, but it's not going to be because what we saw from November 9th to December 21st uh, was an illusion. It was a, that's not the right word was, it was a team that wasn't actually what Iowa state is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're not beating Baylor when you go one of fourteen from three. No, you're just not. But they, this was absolutely the toughest test that Baylor's had so far, and they deserve credit for that. And you you hinted at the other thing. First of all, I love Tyrese Hunter. He's very quickly becoming one of my favorite players in the country. What? What? Iowa State guard becoming one of your? I know. No, sh- shocking. <laughs> He's. It's for very different reasons, though. I love it. He, that dude gets after it on defense. He plays hard. It's great to watch. But the, the question here moving forward, and then I want to talk about Baylor some, is, yeah, can they get more than two players to score? Mm-hmm. In this game, it was Isaiah Brockington and Tristan Anaruna had a phenomenal game. You know, it's been Gabe Kalsher at times. He had zero in this game. Yeah, he had a rough go of it. And Ty- Tyrese Hunter gives you 12 sometimes. But – 
he's not giving you 18. That's just no. not the player he is at this point in his young career. Right. And so, yes, they got to find offensive solutions to get to the next level. But from a gaming game out perspective, they're going to guard you. They're going to play incredibly hard. I, I was, you just have to be, even though you, you lost that game, if you're an Iowa State fan, you have to be inspired by what pleased with what you saw from that team. They just have no quit in them whatsoever. I would really love, and I'm not going to act like I know the um, eligibility of the players on this roster. All I know is the class that is next to their name on Kempom, on the Kempom page I'm looking at right now. But I'm I'm a little sad that we're not getting Tyrese Hunter as a freshman last year with these guys, so that him as a sophomore and you know your Isaiah Brockingtons, your Gabe Kelshers, um, who are both seniors this year, um, you're going to get Tristan and Aruna with them who's just a junior, assuming that Tristan is on this team next year. No reason to suggest that he wouldn't be. But from a, I mean, this is probably as good as it gets for Iowa State in this era, which is a little unfortunate that it didn't time out a little differently. But then again, if not for the COVID year, then maybe it just doesn't happen at all. So we'll take what we can get. It's the world that, you know, world of transfers too. Right. And a lot of guys that have played a lot of college basketball coming in this year. So Right. Exactly. Exactly. on the Baylor side, yes, the, you, you read off some of the promising numbers. They also had 19 turnovers to 13 assists. That was where mm-hmm. Iowa State really did a good job defensively. And got to give credit to James Akinjo. I know you were probably more skeptical than I was, but we were certainly both skeptical about how this was going to work. Mm-hmm. He's delivered. James Akinjo going in and playing winning basketball on the road in the Big 12 was not something I was expecting to happen. And and to a certain extent, being the reason that Baylor won this game. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting that. Not he's, not in the slightest, to be honest with you. Yeah. He's been he's been very solid. The interesting thing and where I still have some hesitations with this team compared to last year's is I've come to the conclusion they're ceiling ultimately in terms of can they win a national championship? Will they win a national championship? Because I mean, the answer is yes, they can. Is what kind of impact do your freshman wings make in March? The difference between last year's team and this year's team is the interior is probably a little bit better just because those guys are more experienced. The guards are not as good, but you still have the same idea where you've got, you know, your leading scorer coming off the bench and a bunch of guys that can get their own shot. But they have these six, eight, six, nine dudes who are freak athletes that they can throw at you defensively. It just didn't exist last year on that team. That's what they have. That's what they have made how sort of how they have made up for losing all of those great two-way guards, because I'm still not sold defensively on, particularly what you're getting from James Akinjo. He's doing fine. Their defense is obviously great still. I just love the idea of having two guys that I know can just go take guards out of the game on the other team. They don't have that. But what they do have is Kendall Brown and James Sohan, who have been really good. They don't stuff the stat sheet, especially Kendall Brown. He's not scoring 15 points a game or anything. But that's going to be the difference. If those guys continue to improve, and, and do what they've been doing since they stepped on campus, that is what's going to make this team continue to be one of the best in the country all season long and really difficult to deal with in March because 
there just aren't many teams in the country that can throw two guys like that at you with a championship pedigree inside and the kind of firepower they have offensively at the guard position. I can't believe you just dogged Baylor for not having Jared Butler and <laughs> and and Davion Mitchell. I mean, that's the conversation <laughs> we're having though, because of how good they've been. Right. But that's kind of like getting mad at Cleveland for not having LeBron James anymore. Yeah. And that it's a credit to Scott Drew. I really mean it as a compliment. I'm right. trying to I'm trying to figure out why. You're trying to come is... up with reasons <laughs> why to... Yeah. Sure. I'm not getting. I I don't disagree with you because when you're also when you're the number one team in the country again, what you have to do is like, okay, why aren't they going to win the national championship again? And which is really the conversation we're having here is trying to come up with reasons why that might not be the case. And the easy one is, yeah, they don't have those three guards anymore. Um, but to your point, they make up. I think it's important they make up for the defensive athleticism elsewhere. Yes. Right, because that the intensity, and you're never going to be able to replicate the intensity of Davion Mitchell. And I will always be a advocate for your defensive intensity coming from your first point of attack on defense. Yep. I will like I I would much rather have like if you if you make me choose between Davion Mitchell or I, I, Oscar Shibway, then I'll take. Davion Mitchell eight times a week, right? And, you know, Drew Holiday or Rudy Gobert. I want Drew Holiday. I want Drew yep. Holiday, the guy who is the first point of attack. Um, and the same can be said here is that they, the first person you come in contact with coming across half court, being the best defensive player on the floor is um, something that I don't think you can, you can quantify in terms of how important that is, but they make up for it elsewhere. And, I mean, they're experienced. I mean, you've got guys that were on this team last year, which I also think is important. Mm -hmm. um, just as important as it is for having the guys come back who lost, I think you can also take a lot from having guys come back who won. Absolutely. Um, especially the guys that weren't necessarily the most important guys, right? Whether it be I mean, Jonathan Chamo Joshua does very much of the same things he did yeah. last year, but Matthew LJ Meyer, Cryer. LJ Cryer, um, Adam Flagler, Adam Flagler, yeah, um, having those guys I think is is important as well. Um, I, you know, four days ago I thought Baylor could win the national championship game. Four days later, I still think Baylor can win the national championship, and I still continue to be incredibly impressed that they are one of the what is it three undefeated teams in the country now because Iowa State lost. I think it's Baylor, uh, USC, Baylor, Colorado USC, State. and Colorado State at the moment. I think that's it. Um, if you told me that was going to be the case with who they had on their schedule, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on that. Mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, here we are. Yeah, that's the mental hurdle I have ultimately. Sure, is. And I mean, everybody else keeps losing, so it's not getting, it's difficult to cross that hurdle, but you're going from a bunch of veteran guards to freshman wings mm -hmm. that are the difference between this team being good and great. They've been phenomenal so far. They are, they have been great. You know, they are more than doing their job to make this defense so difficult. This is just a diff. This is more like the older versions of Baylor's defense than last year's. Mm -hmm. And I just, 
yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I want my experience, Davion Mitchell, at the point of attack. And, and this team just doesn't have that, but they are more than making up for it in other ways. Agreed. Let's talk Villanova, Seton Hall, the Big East. Um, Colin Gillespie was the best player on the floor, and Villanova won a game against the top 15 team on the road in the Big East, and that sounds like home. <laughs> That sounds like, and they did it on a night that they only shot six of 20 from the three-point line, which I'm sure we'll get to. They got to the free throw line 30 times and made 25 of them. Um, And not that Villanova was in danger of missing the tournament, that that's not what we're talking about here, but on January 4th, or heading into January 1st, their best win was Tennessee, and it's not like they had stacked up a bunch of those kinds of wins. Um, Again, I'm not actually suggesting that Villanova was in any way, shape, or form in jeopardy of missing the tournament. Um, but I think maybe even just for, even if it's just for their psyche, they needed a win like this. And they've gotten a couple of good ones in a row with Xavier and Seton Hall after getting shown the door twice by Baylor and Creighton. Um, that's a, I think that's an important part of this too. But nonetheless, 73-67 win um, at Seton Hall. Uh, who has been good, slow biggie start, um, but good uh, up until that point. Um, what say you about this one um, and what you saw from either one of these teams, but um, Villanova going on the road and getting this win, I think was important for their team. You hit the point I wanted to emphasize in there and I'll expand on it to cover sort of everything, but the idea of, Villanova winning this game again. Understand, Seton Hall is not at full strength, but winning a game like this with defense, free throws, and rebounding is a very positive sign because that is, especially the last couple years, that is not something we have seen very much, and they have Mm -hmm. gotten obliterated on the boards at times this year. Mm -hmm. So to put in this kind of 14 in this one yeah offensive 13 offensive rebounds they just this was a fundamentally sound going over performance Mm -hmm. and we haven't always gotten that in this kind of Colin Gillespie centric era Mm -hmm. so that was really good to see if you're Jay Wright and right all of a sudden they got wins over arguably the second and third best teams in the conference you lost a road game to Creighton. That's not a huge deal. They've done that before and still waltz to conference titles. Yeah. They're in a good spot. They've gotten beat like that. Yes. On the road at Creighton. Absolutely. More, even more specifically. Yeah. Now, on the scene hall side, you know, it probably would have been helpful for Kevin Willard to literally have a player he could substitute into the game at the end. Mm. Hmm. You know, they literally had no subs if I – remember slash understand correctly they, they he doesn't have players yeah so they, they are in a tough a tough spot here and the games that they've had to play have not exactly helped in that regard so yeah it's like you said not a great start i'm just not worried bryce aiken was really good again he scored 22 points on 11 shots and you know they're playing butler as we speak home against UConn, at DePaul, at Marquette, home against Providence, they could easily win all five of those, and we're having a different conversation. Oh, absolutely. My thing is, 
as long as they can get a stretch of games with everybody healthy heading into the Big East tournament and they don't do something catastrophic to put themselves in a terrible spot, which I don't think they will, mm-hmm. I just won't be worried about what their conference record looks like. There are going to be teams this year where it just it doesn't matter because of the circumstances surrounding it. As long as they have their players available, they, they've shown enough to me. I have enough faith in Kevin Willard and what they do. I, they're going to be really difficult to play with as long as they've got everybody available come Big East tournament, NCAA tournament. And they put themselves in a position to not have to stress about conference play yep. either. I mean, we're lose to Ohio State, but they've already got wins at Michigan and against Texas on their on their resume. And a Rutgers win that I mean, I mean, Rutgers is not fun to play. Um, even though they they Rutgers has had a weird season, they still go and beat teams like like Purdue. Um, but right, so the point being sorry to lose my train of thought there is, is, I mean, you look at their next, right. They're beating Butler by eight at halftime. I would be surprised if they lose that one. And then like you mentioned, they get UConn at home and then they get to DePaul Marquette and St. John's twice because of a reschedule in their next five games after that, right. You get Providence, which is a tough one. Providence continues to play good basketball, but like you said, we could look up in the Seton Hall team. And, and like, here's the other thing that I, that I don't think is maybe it doesn't need to be talked about. And, and it would, it's completely fine with me that it doesn't, but this idea that like, if, if COVID goes through your team now, it's probably not going to go through your team again this season mm-hmm. because right. I mean, at least in theory, you're looking at a 60 to 90 day immunity yep. for if the majority, if not all of your team, I mean, Coach K was quoted earlier this week, like basically everybody on the, in the Duke program got COVID. So like in theory, the Duke program is pretty much immune for right. the next. And, once, and yeah, once you get through it, it's better to have. Right. It. So my point, yeah. my points being that in theory, once they get their guys back, that you're looking at a team that should be much more whole. And I believe they got if most of, if not all of their guys back. Um, I know they got Obiagu back. Um and a, a couple other guys for tonight's game against against Butler. So they seem to be move, moving in that direction. And in theory, uh, they'll continue to be pretty much whole for the foreseeable future after you know making it through the, co- the you know the COVID issues that them, along with hundreds of other teams, mm-hmm. uh, are going through. And they put up a good fight even when they were shorthanded. It's Absolutely. not like they got destroyed by anybody. So it's yeah, a well-coached just, basketball team. Yeah. No, no concerns whatsoever. I firmly believe they, if you play everybody at full strength every game, they're the second best. Mm, well, Xavier's dead. They're the, easily a top three team in this conference. I, I would agree with that. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about this one. <laughs> let me give you. Let me give you the uh, the the nuts and bolts here. Uh, Mackey Arena was the was the site. And West Lafayette and Indian on January 2nd. No, January 3rd, excuse me. 74-69 in favor of the Wisconsin Badgers. Johnny Davis, a, a guy that we've had multiple conversations about uh, on this on this podcast uh, with 
guests and between just the two of us, the 6'5", Johnny Davis, uh, against the Purdue team that boasts multiple seven-footers. Um, shouts to Zach Eady, by the way, 24 and 10 in this game. The Purdue did not lose this game because of Zach Eady. Um, Johnny Davis, 37, 14 and three. That's 14 rebounds, 13 and 24 shooting two of five from the three point line, nine of 12 from the free throw line. And we talked about it, um, between us, we talked about it with Abby Schnabel, uh, from the Wisconsin journal that if like, if Johnny Davis is going to play like an all first team, all big 10 kind of player, then Wisconsin has the the defensive ability and just the ability in general to pull off some upsets. But with that being said, um, only giving up 74 points and losing a game at Mackey arena was not something I thought would be on Purdue's uh, on Purdue's docket uh, this early in big 10 play, but nevertheless, here we are. Um, and the Boilermakers on January 4th, are eighth in the big 10 and have lost more of the two of their three big 10 games, which is also something I was not expecting to say uh, that they were going to have two losses this early in to conference play. Um, Josh, if I asked you to describe why Purdue lost in one sentence or what the most important thing about this game was, how would you respond to that question? I'll answer the first one. They can't guard wings. This is, I'm getting to the point, and I I never thought I would be here, but this is kind of a, I'm willing to dismiss it once, but it's happened twice. Before we get to that, though, is there a team having a more bizarre season than Wisconsin? Just in the sense of every time I feel like I have a, first of all, who knew what to expect coming into the season? There's that. But then it feels like every time it sort of starts to make sense, there's another twist in the tail and they do something that I don't understand. Right. Not all bad. I just thought, okay, you know, they, they lose to Providence without Johnny Davis, but then they go do what they did during feast weekend. Okay. So clearly, they are a very good team with Johnny Davis and then Ohio state handles them. And I thought, okay, maybe they're fifth, sixth best team in the big 10, which is nothing to sneeze at, but then they do this and I'm just confused, but on the Purdue side, right. I will say it right now. Purdue is not good enough to win the national championship. If they play defense like this. Yeah. And it's happened because Ron Harper jr. Had the game of his life too. Not just the end. I think it's 67 points between the two of them those guys had. I believe you're right. I think it was it was either 30 or 32 that Ron Harper had yeah. that day. And, of course, you look at Purdue's roster, and it's some smaller guards and some really big dudes. They don't really have wings. And so, and the guy most, most equipped to be an elite defender, because we can beat around the bush all you want to. Jay Nivey should be an elite defender at the, the college level. Oh, there sure. is no excuse. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on the nights that he's cooking, he, he, I, I texted our buddy Lucas Harkins this um, when I was at the Purdue Butler game, but Jay Nivey is the best defender on the planet after he scores like the, <laughs> the, the following possession, he is locked in, but I could score on him any other possession. And I mean, right. They should be a good interior defensive team. They're not really, they should be. 
Um, but then when you look at the personnel they have on the wings, it makes perfect sense that they can't guard wings. Mm-hmm. Perfect sense. Yeah. But because I mean, I think Harper is six five and Giant Davis is six six. Yeah. Right. And I mean, we're looking at I mean, Jaden Ivey is six five. Sasha Stefanovic is one of those guys that is way bigger than I think he is. He's also six yeah. five, but neither of those guys are out there because they're both six five. Wow. Yeah. See, they don't they don't play. And Jaden Ivey also is Jaden Ivey six four. I okay. Yeah, I knew I knew he was bigger for a point guard, but he's also the one guarding the primary ball handler usually, right? Mm. You know, they're not to a point where he they're putting him on the best perimeter player on the other team, no matter who it is. Mm-hmm to your point about him not necessarily living up his defensive potential. So that's the issue, right? This has happened twice. And, oh, the other the other factoid I found here, Purdue is 12, you know, we talked about, well, they're going to score 70 points every game, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Guess what? They're 12-0 and when they score 70 points. They're 0-2 when they don't. Mm-hmm. Either they got to take step up to that next level defensively or they got to score 70 points. And they just didn't quite – do enough and and here's the thing about here's the thing that separates purdue's offense this year from i mean you can pick whichever elite offense that you want to for the purpose of the conversation i'll use gonzaga last year the most important parts of gonzaga's offense last year are uber efficient scores whether it's Drew Temme, whether it's Corey Kispert, like Jalen Suggs being efficient is icing on the cake. Yeah. But like he can go four of a 13 and it really not be that big of a deal because Corey Kispert and Drew Temme are both going to shoot 60% from the field. And Corey Kispert's probably going to shoot like 53% from the three point line. Right, right. So when we talk true shooting percentage, yep. it's really like 70%. Right. Even if his field goal percentage isn't great, his actual points per shot and efficiency right. stuff is going to be good. Yeah. Um. The they don't have i mean you're you're pretty much counting on sasha stefanovic to always be a uber efficient scorer because the way jaden ivy plays is that i mean he's going to have his nights where he goes six of six from the three-point line and it's like how is this guy not the number one overall pick in the draft but then you're going to have nights where he's I mean, first of all, I need him to take more than nine shots in this game. Like, I need him at some point to realize that he needs to just take 17 shots here. Um, now, Zach Eady took his 17 and made 10 of them. But my point being is that they are not – there isn't enough of a safety net when it comes to Purdue's floor of efficiency every game like there was for – Gonzaga's offense last year, for example, um, what you think there might be when you have guys that are as dominant on the interior as, as Trayvon Williams and, and Zach EDR, but like, you don't really, you don't really have that efficiency safety netting on, on the perimeter. Like Gonzaga, I mean, Sasha Stefanovic is shooting 42% from the field. He's 42% from the three-point line, but he's also 42% from the field. And I'm sure his percentage of three-point attempts, you know, to yeah. field goal attempts is ridiculously high. But um, And they didn't shoot the ball from poorly from three at all in this game. No, but a, they shot it poorly pretty much right, everywhere else. Right. It was an issue of can anybody outside of your two bigs make a shot inside inside the three-point line? To, right. to your point about, right, can you – 
find a way to balance that a little bit. And somehow they only made 15 of their 24 free throws. I mean, we could, we could make it really easy. Make your freaking free throws and you win the basketball game. Yeah. The numbers don't exactly make sense here, but when you can't guard Johnny Davis and you let Wisconsin do what they do defensively, they just, they just kind of got out tough. Um, And Purdue was 42nd when we uh, had that conversation at defensively at Kempom when we had our um, new year's resolutions. Would you like to guess where they are now? 57. Keep going. 66th. Keep going. 73rd. 70th. They are Yikes. 70th at Kempom at this point. That's not good enough. Nope. That's not good enough to win the Big Ten. And that's that was the other thing I wanted to – it's early. Nobody at the top of the conference has played each other yet. And if I'm Matt Painter, I've won enough Big Ten titles that I'm okay with my team taking some lumps if it means they're going to – do what they need to do to be in a position to win a national championship. Cause right now they're not, I still, I'm not giving up on this team at all, but they need to figure some things out clearly. So if it, if it means you lose a couple big 10 games and you share the title or you come a game behind somebody, if that's what it takes, I, I just have too much faith in Matt Painter that I'm not ultimately right now. I'm not worried about this. You know, it's a little wild. And I'm realizing this just now, just right now that they have a zero point differential in the big 10 right now. They won yep. a game by seven and lost a game by two and a game by five. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And what's even wilder is that they've held the two games they've lost. And I think this might be the thing that scares me the most. They haven't given up more than 74 points in either in, in any big 10 game. And they've lost right. two of them. Yeah, they. I mean, two. And I will continue to harp on their on their defense. I mean, they're first at Kempom and offense. They, there's, it's indisputable that they're elite offensively. But with that being said, it's like, in a weird way. I mean, if they were just okay on offense, we're talking yeah. about. I mean, you know, we're, we're scoring 96, 92, 96, 93, 80, 97, 93. And then the Big Ten, it's 77, 70, and 74. I mean, you got to bring the those, offensive those, efficiency. Those are the amount of points they gave up, right? Those last three? No, those are the amount of points they scored. 77, 77, sorry, 68, 69, and 77. Got it, okay. That they scored. We've got to we've got to at least come to a happy medium between not Big Ten Purdue offense and Big Ten Purdue offense. And there was always going to be some drop off because of the level of competition. But they played enough sure. good teams in not. But they also beat dropped ninety three on North Carolina and right. eighty on Villanova. Right, right, they and ninety three on Florida State. Yeah, they didn't have any issue scoring against good basketball teams in right. the conference. Sure. The other the other part of this. Michigan State, Ohio State, and Illinois are eight and zero in Big Ten play combined. Now, none of those four teams have played the other, right? I mean, Purdue has two losses to teams not named those three, and those three are all undefeated. They haven't played mm-hmm. each other yet. Mm-hmm. But you're two games back in the loss column already. These teams are not going to lose. I mean, maybe we get to five or six just because of the, the way that this conference is, right? You, you have time to make this up. Nobody's going 18 and two. Unless no, Purdue but like, but like, all of a sudden you got to go 15 and three, sorry, 15 and 
No, 14 and 3. If Over you're your next yeah, if you're trying right. to win this, if you're trying to right. like and I think like 15 and 5 seems like a relatively maybe f- over under four and a half losses for the yeah. team that wins the Big and four, 10. 15 and five, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you put it that way, winning 14 to 17 Big Ten games, no matter who you are, is like a really, really, really tall task. Yeah. And and they, Purdue, to me, this is just pretty simple. Purdue needs to win their games against these other teams. Right, you can have probably a loss. In there. You can't have any more. You can't lose at home, period. You're going to lose on the road once or twice, which is fine. That still gets you, you know, even two road losses get you 16 and four at this point. Mm-hmm. And then that gives you room for one strange something. But so far, the, your Michigan State, your Ohio States aren't losing to, you know, Michigan State just went into Northwestern, who had been playing good basketball, and it wasn't pretty. They found a mm-hmm. way to get it done, though. Right. They're not losing. And of course, they're going to be. That has been a bad spot for Michigan State the past couple of years. They're a, Wisconsin's going to get some people at home. You're going to things are going to happen, and these teams are going to lose outside of playing each other. But it's right. You're not in a position where the other teams that you're directly probably going to be competing against are also off to slow starters. Mm-hmm. They've all taken care of business, and Purdue has a home loss and a loss to a mid-tier Big Ten team. Not what I was expecting to say. No. Um, live update here. Uh, LSU just beat Kentucky 65-60. Um, Good for them. At one point, they were down 50-41 to and then went on a 20-2 to run to go up 61-52 and then held on to in the last two and a half minutes to, to win. So both LSU and Auburn, shouts to the SEC um, for, for getting those wins. Anyways, back to, back to Purdue. Um, yeah. Not what I was expecting to be talking about. I mean, it was almost like it was almost like I didn't completely believe what I was saying about Purdue's defense when I was saying it, <laughs> even though I had the research to back it up. Uh-huh. Like I wasn't sure I completely was convinced that it was actually going to matter. Yeah, my thing was and, I just didn't think it was going to matter at home against Wisconsin. Yeah, that too, that too. Um, I think that. <laughs> To, to put it very simply, I think that's a, a very nice way to put it, that I didn't think it was going to matter tonight, that's for sure. Maybe when we get deeper into it against yeah. the, the the Illinois and the Ohio States and the Michigan States of the world, but not at home against a Wisconsin team that, that some, sometimes just didn't you know bring the orange ring to the, to the game, so they just simply can't score. Um, anything else in this game? No, I was just, I still just have a hard time processing. <laughs> but here we are. I part of me, I guess I'll end on this. Part of me thinks if I have to, if I have to bet on what happens, they are going to come out with a vengeance and pick things up in a big way and look like a final four caliber team by the time they need to look like a final four caliber. team. It may cost them a big 10 regular season title, but I still, if you're going to ask me what ultimately happens, that's my guess. Perhaps an right now is Purdue a big, a final four quality team. No. 
in the I'm right not... in the right matchups and right circumstances, they can make it. But am I picking them? And and frankly, I'll put it this way: I, I will continue. I, I think that's where I've gotten to. And I'm not sure I'm changing my mind until they change the their performance on the defensive end. And I'm not sure where that comes from. I mean, part, part of this is dealing with expectations and all of a sudden they're not doing as great of a job as they were with it. I don't know why, but I mean, we talked about some of the reasons, but from a mental standpoint, it seemed like they were doing fine. And now all of a sudden it seems to be taking its toll. Maybe, maybe the first step for me is, okay, I need you to play an elite perimeter guy and not let him have a career game against you. Let's right. start there. Right. Let's, just do some basic things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and maybe we'll go from there, but um, I'm curious as to if they get to a point, okay. Okay. Yes. There's a difference between this Purdue team and the Purdue team I was seeing on January 4th. And it's a difference other than just like, yeah, they're shooting the crap out of the basketball right now because that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. You're not going to shoot the crap out of the basketball for six straight wins. You might, I mean, you might do it for three. You might even do it for four and get into the final four, but you're not going to do it for six straight. And right now I have very little confidence in Purdue to win that kind of game. But we'll see. Anything else? Anything you need to get off your chest, Josh? No. And they're going to have to do The other thing I'll respond to that. They're going to have to do it against a team that's better than Wisconsin. Exactly. This isn't exactly the cream of the crop in the Big Ten. And no disrespect, Wisconsin's a very good team. I'm just, right, theoretically, if you're in the Final Four, you're facing a whole different level of caliber competition. Right. They will have to beat teams worse than Wisconsin to get there, obviously, and beat a team like Wisconsin in the Sweet 16. But, yeah, no, I'm still trying to make sense of this one. That's about all I have to say. I think that's, I think I'm out. That's 920. Shall we get out of here? Let's do it. Baylor won again. Speaking of uh, their high-powered guards, uh, Adam Flagler and James Akinjo responsible for 49 of their 84. Um, they were a combined 18 of 29 from the field. So there you go. Jonathan Chamochacho added 12. That was pretty much the story. Yeah. Shouts to the Baylor Bales. They keep rolling 14-0. Uh, Scott Drew has that thing absolutely rolling. In, in Waco and Chester the Bear. This is be, you know why this is happening because they're building an arena that only has seven thousand people. That's that that's what that's that that that's good karma. That's I don't exactly care. what that is. I don't care how the season ends up. This is up there on the best coaching jobs in history. Any sport, full man, stop. full stop. Man, I'm gonna let you chew on that one till we talk to you again. Thank you for being here. We enjoy having your company please subscribe to jays today's podcast and app podcast spotify and google podcast follow us on twitter at jays for days pod check out the pod being we'll be back later this week thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you later